FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. I look like a fat piece of garbage in <laughs> from this angle. It's Horrifying. It's a, look yeah. like a hobo. Like my, I haven't shaved since Whitehall. <laughs> so. Forced perspective. Yeah. Not. Uh, this is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio. We're so south that we're south of the Sasquatch Triangle. Wow. That's how south we are. You guys are super south. We are. Do you talk with an accent? We, well, I'll tell you what, it's starting to slip into our uh, everyday language um, sometimes when we're real tired and, and feeling lazy, mm-hmm. it'll start to creep in and we'll catch each other. It, it, but it's a dead giveaway that we're not from around these parts. Right. Uh, these here parts. These here parts. Y'all's, y'all's ain't from around these here parts. <laughs> No. Um, no, we ain't. So uh, this is going to be another one of these uh, listener feedback kind of episodes because we've got some letters. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I realize we missed last week. We've missed probably the most episodes in the last month that we've missed or two months in the last two months that we've missed since, like, the beginning of the show. So apologies. You can place the blame squarely on me. Um it's been an exceptionally busy month. And I knew July was going to be crazy, but it's been even crazier than I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're we're just trying to, to keep going, keep on going through. The, the big thing I think we should mention, not as a brag, but somehow uh, we had episode 44 go astronomically huge um, on Stitcher specifically. And I think they featured us on their homepage is what happened. Okay. But um, the episode was actually sponsored by Toyota. I don't know if I told you what? this. <laughs> no. Yeah. I wish we'd gotten some money off that. But uh, yeah, apparently episode 44 was like sponsored by Toyota somehow and Stitcher. And due to that, we had the most downloads on that episode that we've ever had on anything. And when I say that, I mean not even clo- There's nothing even approaching what we hit on that episode. It was, uh, it's probably up. Up, up there. I'm not going to give exact figures, but it. I'll just say that in one episode, we had as many downloads on that one episode as we did on all of the other episodes that we had done in our first probably nine months, ten months. So, in in about three days. Wow. Yeah. So Domo Arigato Toyota. Yeah. Thanks, Toyota. Classic. <laughs> Classic Toyota coming to our rescue. <laughs> uh all right so we got a letter uh from bradley carlson uh and he had written us on the last listener feedback and again if you're listening to this show and you have something you want us to talk about you can send it to uh at gmail.com and we'll read it on the era uh he says bradley says thanks for responding to to my questions on the program 
though I think my inelegant phrasing led to some confusion about what I was getting at. I appreciated the discussion of scientific approaches to Bigfoot in the last episode, and I agree with many of your sentiments. In my mind, the problem that wasn't addressed is that the scientific method taught in school and presented in the episode does not really incorporate the key ideas of rigorous science. The approach used by research scientists includes many considerations not included in the classic scientific method. They are things I only learned through graduate studies and years of experience in science, so I understand why most people wouldn't be aware of them. The main scientific idea I'd emphasize is this. State a null hypothesis and try to disprove it. The null basically means the world is as we already knew it to be, or in other words, nothing interesting is happening. For example, a, a null hypothesis for Bigfoot sightings would be that bears, hoaxes, etc. explain them. If you can't show that your observations are unlikely when the null is true, then you can't reject the null. So if you can't show that some piece of Bigfoot evidence is significantly outside the realm of other explanatory factors, the null, then you don't have a reason to reject the null and conclude that there may be a Bigfoot. This is much safer than making a prediction about your observations. Predicting wood knocks and then hearing them wouldn't necessarily support the existence of Bigfoot. Something else could make the wood knocks. Instead, a researcher would need to confidently establish what types of sounds could be heard if there were no Bigfoots, such as by using an area where Bigfoot would not be found, and then demonstrate that the sounds produced fall outside of that range. To really do all of this requires statistical testing of properly designed studies. Statistical testing is the bread and butter of research biologists, and I have not encountered its use by any so-called Bigfoot researchers, save a few academics out there. And a properly designed study includes significant replication, which is largely absent in attempts at rigorous scientific work. E.g. Bill Munns comparing the anatomical proportions of Patty to a handful of humans rather than the full range of human body shapes. Apologies for the length and for any ways in which I have made I have been unintelligible. Uh, Brad, that that was not unintelligible. That was probably the most uh, eloquent letter we've ever received, possibly one of the longest. But we went all in on that. And Mark, I want to hear your response to this letter. Well, first of all, my response is that's far better than anything I came up with on that scientific episode and and makes a lot more sense. And I really appreciate the clarification um, because clearly, I mean, what Brad is getting at is, and we had some other letter writers say the same thing, that uh, the scientific method as it was presented and as it's generally pre presented in, say, a, a school classroom uh, doesn't really hit all of the spots as far as scientific research as it's actually done in the field. And uh, so this sort of fills in the blanks a little bit and makes some excellent points, such as the predicting wood knocks and hearing them doesn't necessarily mean a Bigfoot is knocking back. There's any number of things that could be making that similar sound. And that is as as basic and simple on the face of it as that seems. It is important to admit that, especially in a, in a field where, you know, just making a knock and hearing something in return is often interpreted as it's a squatch, you know, no question about it. And you just, um, I think that's what we were getting at in that episode is that we, you need a lot more than that, you know, than just a, a return sound to say, okay, we've got proof. Okay. But if your null hypothesis is that Bigfoot does not exist, Right? Is that what he's saying? Bigfoot. Your null hypothesis is that in the world we know Bigfoot does not exist. That's the assumption, yeah. Okay, but 
that's not the case for a lot of Bigfooters. Because you got to understand, like, a lot of Bigfooters say they have seen Bigfoot or believe they have seen Bigfoot mm-hmm. or whatever the case is, have seen Bigfoot. So that, that their null hypothesis is not going to be that in the world we exist. Bigfoot is not. Mm-hmm. Correct. So it changes things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it, It's your baseline assumption going in. Right. So I think that's why it might be why. Now, now. I'm not saying that because uh, I, I totally understand too the the idea that there are people that run around and every noise in the wood is Bigfoot. Um, I would almost argue that those people are typically the people who have not seen a Bigfoot because I I I look at groups like the um, let me think of a group that is not the NAWAC <laughs> uh, the what's the uh, the Olympic Project seems like a pretty scientifically minded group right sure um, yeah. And they kind of seem to approach this much more level-headed than a lot of other groups. Um, and, and I know Derek Randall says he's seen a, a Bigfoot. And I, I hear that guy shoot down more Bigfoot activity than I do back up Bigfoot activity. So hmm. I wonder how that, like, psychologically, how that affects those that have seen them. I mean, I because you you hear people that claim to have seen bigfoots and their stories are so outlandish and and then every time they're going out in the woods they're you know having some sort of encounter with a bigfoot is that just hyperactive imagination did they see a bigfoot once and now they want to see it so badly that every time they go out in the woods they're seeing it it's i i need to either do a movie on on the uh kind of the 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 mental state of Sasquatchers, and I'm not talking like 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 everyone's nuts. I'm just saying like it's it's very interesting how people would think or conduct themselves that have seen a Bigfoot compared to someone who hasn't, and if there is a difference. Am I just rambling here? I feel like no, I'm... you're not. I, I think that it that is a fascinating thing and one that deserves probably more attention than it's gotten thus far. But I, I you know, you connect the dots. In almost all the literature and in in a lot of the documentaries that are out there right now, and one thing they have in common is that people who have had these sightings usually will say something to the effect that they feel it was an important moment in their life, uh, you know, um, to foist a cliche upon everyone. You know, it's a moment that changed their life forever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those folks, I mean, they especially those who weren't even out there looking for Bigfoot but saw one. Uh, it seems like that's a pivotal moment in their lives. Um, they begin searching more often, or they find some sort of therapeutic activity like artwork or other outlets that help them process what they saw. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that it has a profound psychological impact on those people. And, you know, uh, I guess whether or not that predisposes them to then what what their null hypothesis is going to be clearly is going to be different than someone who says the, the my basic move is going to be that Sasquatch doesn't exist and until I have extraordinary proof I won't draw any more conclusions mm-hmm. uh, uh, next letter from Sean he says hi guys needed to make a small comment regarding episode 56 uh, this this episode 56 was the scientific method episode by the way so yes. anyone listening it's actually the last episode in our timeline so 
go back and listen to that because I think these two letters, I don't know what the next is yet, but um, they probably all pertain to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Needed to make a small comment regarding episode 56. I bristle a bit when the scientific method is bandied about. We're talking about two different things here, and the scientific method has nothing to do with it, nor should it. Let's say I'm a scientist and I want to study termites. I have all kinds of theories and hypothesis about termite behavior and I need to test these. Well, first I need to find some termites to test them on. There are any number of ways to do this, but I'm not necessarily going to use the scientific method to find my termites. I'm going to go out looking for them based on the best information I have about where to find them, and hopefully I will find them. Once I do, I'll start using my scientific method to test them. I don't use hypothesis, null hypothesis, or alternate hypothesis to find termites. I need evidence and know-how, which is an entirely different thing. And if I have no idea how to find termites, because opinions vary greatly, I'm going to have to do the best I can with what I have. That's it. The Sasquatch community appears to be using evidence, hearsay, anecdotes, whatever, to find the things and prove if they exist or not. They don't need the scientific method. They need a body or part of a body. It's that simple. So people professing to be scientific in the research are maybe just fastidiously maintaining that, geez, we are, these guys that are writing in this week are just genius level, I think. Yes, exactly. Um, Or just plain. (laughs) Intimidating, (laughs) actually. You know. It is. You go back and think, oh, gosh, what did I say? How many times did I use the word uh, poop (laughs) on this episode? Uh, sorry, I'll go back. Some people professing to be scientific in their research are maybe just fastidiously maintaining data or just plain investigating in various degrees of effectiveness. But maintaining good record, it isn't and doesn't have to be scientific per se. Accountants maintain good records, doesn't make them scientists. At the end of the day, they're just looking around based on educated guesses and an underlying suspicion that something is there. Nothing scientific about that. And again, it doesn't have to be. My two cents for the cause. I love this letter. I love this letter and I love the last letter because they're both taking completely different stances. But I love what Sean has to say. I don't know if I agree with either of them because I I don't think about this that much. But I actually think I do kind of agree with what Sean's saying. Um, And that was honestly what he did is, is kind of put into words what I was attempting to say in episode 56, which is that people use the scientific method a lot as a cause for being super skeptical of the existence of Bigfoot. It, it's true. Like you hear people constantly. Well, no one in the in the Bigfoot field uses the scientific method, and I agree to a point that the scientific method needs to be applied. But we are looking for an animal. So did I mean? How did that work with say like mountain mountain gorillas? Did they constantly refer to the scientific method when when searching for mountain gorillas hmm. or or panda like the giant panda? Right. No. I wouldn't I don't think so. Believe so. <clears throat> so why is it that we we hoist that onto the the Bigfoot field? Is that because it gives us it gives skeptics an easy out? Yeah, maybe. I that's that's very interesting because his point is absolutely well taken, mm-hmm. which is you know you need to find a specimen first, and then you can start observing it. Right. <laughs> then you can start using. Uh, methodologies, hypotheses, and so forth. Um, and, and so I think it when we, when you introduce the language of scientific method to the topic, maybe it, even if a person thinks that it lends clarity, it actually muddies the waters because it's not time for that yet. And again, his point that I like is 
it's okay to you know say that you are keeping you know a great database and and things like that but it doesn't necessarily mean it's scientifically done mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah there's nothing wrong with that and so yeah i think that um as you said seth sometimes sometimes people use the scientific method in a way that says See, they're not being scientific, therefore it's all bunk. Right. And we can just disregard it. And that's it's not fair because it's not time for that yet. Right. Because we still we still need one. We <laughs> still need something to study besides stories. But uh, yeah. I'm uh it's hard placing all this in my head like cuz cuz we would need to Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well you brought up the mountain gorilla and I think that's actually sort of uh perfect. Because how did that start? I mean, there were folkloric stories about an African creature right. for years before one was actually stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. And should that ever happen, I, I I just suspect it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be a, a happy accident rather than, you know, somebody pursuing this until they find one, right. if that's even possible. Right. I'm, I'm, I love that letter, though. Um yeah, I do too. I mean, it just again, it shows you the level <laughs> of intelligence of our listeners, yeah. which is is uh, astounding to me. It's yeah. great. Yeah, we appreciate their participation in the program. We got a we did get a letter on uh, Facebook real quick. I wanted to mention from Bonnie, and she yes. sent us a link to. I didn't get a chance to listen to this. Did you? No. Okay. I did not. It was a uh, coast-to-coast interview with someone named Mitchell Townsend who talked about his dental evidence on deer bones found in the Mount St. Helens area and the resulting scientific conclusions. Um, interesting. There we are again with the scientific conclusions. You know, where where the scientific method does apply is, is things like the, um, the Melba Ketchum study. And, you know, I mean, because that is someone who's claiming to be scientific and whether she is or not i guess is extremely debatable we had we had someone leave a message on facebook or on youtube for us uh demanding to know why we have ignored melba on sasquatch but i think we've actually talked about melba and her particular brand of crazy um and, and you know it's it is what it is yeah if if you're if you're okay with uh, what seems to be some really shoddy science that will back up what your personal beliefs are on Bigfoot, go for it. That's whatever. That's my personal take on the Melba thing. I think from from what I've seen, the people that stick to backing up Melba um, tend to be the people who who had some sort of you know human proto human special secret clan of Bigfoot beliefs to begin with. And clearly the big mistake that she made was in purchasing her own journal to publish in. Right. And I don't, you know, I don't really care what her worldview is necessarily, but the moment that you do that, then you draw any real research that you may have done totally into question. And at that point, it just becomes, and I mean this with all due respect, it just is a self-published book mm-hmm. at that point. Right. Which anybody can do. Well, and so the, why would you put all of that work into it, and then just sort of short circuit it? And you know, and I know the circular arguments that would come back. Right, it's with, it's all know, a conspiracy to shut her down and right. all that stuff. So yeah, there's no winning in that situation. So it's almost better to ignore the Melba thing, from my perspective. 
which is probably why we have yeah. in large part. I mean, right. seriously. Right. Now, I did, I listened to that, now that I thought about it, sort of with one ear, the coast. It was just the first hour mm-hmm. that uh, the guy was on. And I have to say, I, I sort of zoned out on it because it was sort of the same thing that we've heard many times before. But the one thing that I do think is worth mentioning, just in passing, is how rich uh, a pool of sighting anecdotes there were coming out of this Mount St. Helens area yeah. before the eruption. Yeah. And now after the eruption, I, you know, I don't know, uh, but it just seems to me that that was just a great place mm-hmm. uh, and sort of a Bigfoot mecca, and then the eruption happened. So it's, has it, it died off? off? I, I believe so. Oh, okay. And then, you know, even mentioned on the, the broadcast was sort of the anecdotal stories about uh, announcing X amount of deaths in the wake of the eruption, and then that was redacted because of larger bodies that were found and, and taken away, the, you know, alleging, of course, that some of the larger corpses that were found were not completely human, mm-hmm. which makes for awesome stories sure. and, and, and really good campfire tales. Um, we got another letter from Bonnie, and she's the same one that, that sent us the uh, Facebook message. She said, this is, man, she is in-depth on this thing. It gives a rundown of, of the topics. It says, Minerva monster, hunters, hoaxers, truth tellers or liars, credibility, eyewitness accounts, bogus accounts, full moons, Wes and Woody, Sasquatch Chronicles, fact or fiction, amusement, <laughs> Bob Garrett, Harassment, official agencies, National Park Service, missing 411, trained observers, special abilities versus average ability. Hello, Seth and Mark. Thank you for... There's September. (laughs) Thank you for producing such a fine show as Sasquatch. I truly enjoy listening to your ongoing discussion slash debate surrounding Bigfoot Sasquatch. I am writing in response to your mention of doing a show or shows dedicated to listener questions, comments, or letters in general. I've listened to most of your shows, and there is so much that comes to mind for common opinion, and I would like to send some mail in future about some of the above-mentioned topics. I've listed these above just so I can refer back to the topics that interest me most. Truth-tellers. In the interest of full disclosure, I consider myself one of those discussed in an episode whether or not a person can tell whether another person is truth-telling. I say this because I know from personal experience there are many professions and careers and persons in the general population who have this ability. Please note, not referring to law enforcement. I don't mean this to sound pompous, self-important, arrogant, or any other label that comes to mind, but I have excelled in fields that require a judgment be made regarding a person's bona fides, literally, in good faith, a Latin term meaning, are they credible, believable, truthful, are they for real, in legal terms without intention to deceive. Take Sasquatch Chronicles as an example. In my professional opinion, there have probably been around 10 to 12 seriously bogus fabricated stories aired. Most of these, in my opinion, have been in the early days of Sasquatch Chronicles. Some stories, bona fides, are debatable, and I agree with you that many more questions could be asked that are not, which could be for many reasons. One could be to keep the guest at ease, a place where people can share their encounters, or another reason could be the inexperience of the interviewer. Another could be why let truth get in the way of a good story. For the record, I believe that Wes and Woody gave an honest account of what they believed happened to them on that faithful night. I could give you my reasons at another time. Also, for the record, I have listened, read, watched at least a few hundred, if not many more, Bigfoot Sasquatch accounts because I like you, find the subject, and all that revolves around the subject. Fascinating. Kind regards. All right. Bonnie. Wow. Uh, Well, at least we jumped away from the scientific method topic. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. So so let's get into this because this is kind of cool. As as a filmmaker now, I am running into this, especially on the current project, the Beast of Whitehall movie we're doing as a follow up to Minerva. Um, we have a. I'm going to talk about this a little, and I'm not going to go too in depth, but I I feel like I can speak to this. We have a subject on this movie who came to us who has an entirely new version of the a bear story. Not that he changes anything, but he's adding an additional element that we were completely unaware of. Everyone's completely unaware of. I'm talking about all the literature and the people who were there that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he came to us. Now I spoke to him probably four or five times on the phone, asking him questions, trying to get, to the bottom of whether or not he's telling the truth before I made a decision if we were going to interview him. And when we got there, we did decide to interview him. So he's on camera. He's telling his story. The problem for me is I have no way of corroborating this guy's story. He's got some details of that night that no one else would have. Um, not It's not stuff that would just be out in the public eye. It's not on any of the you know websites. However, some of his remembrances of that night don't exactly line up with what we know happened. The problem is that doesn't necessarily mean he's lying because we had the same problem when we interviewed Howie Caton. A lot of things that he said didn't line up with what the police report said. And I think when what that can come down to is just misremembering things that happened almost 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. I can only call two people to back up this guy's story because there was only two people that are able to back up his story and neither of them are answering calls or talking to me. Hmm. So I have no way of corroborating this guy's story. So what, what I've got to make a decision on, and this is like a serious behind the scenes look at what I'm trying, trying to figure out. I mean, I'm, I don't even know if I'll actually include this in this episode. Um, (laughs) I've got to decide if that'll go in the movie or not, because if he's lying to me, then he's lying to my audience. But if he's not lying, it's a key piece of information about this story that no one knew. Um, what I what I have done is I've filmed a conversation between Alan and Jesse, who are in the movie, kind of talking about the fact that this guy is an unknown quantity. We don't know if it, what he's saying is true. We we haven't been able to corroborate it. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, I might be able to do it that way. But but what is my as as a filmmaker is my obligation to to be essentially a detective and only the things that I can corroborate and that are 100% factual based on my research. Is that all that goes in the movie? Because I have no way of backing up certain things that are told to us. Do you know what I mean? Like for instance, the Howie Caton story about, about jumping on the creature and his brother getting bit. I haven't been able to back that up. They say there's a police report. I can't find the police report. However, it's like a really good story. I mean, it's sure. a great story. What is my obligation as a storyteller, filmmaker, someone who's documenting what people are saying? I'm not necessarily documenting the reality of that. What is my obligation? Well, see see how this sounds. I think that if you have serious doubts about what the person is telling you, then perhaps your obligation would be to, myself. to let your audience know that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, and the thing, the very interesting thing about Minerva Monster, and I'm, I'm going to play film critic for a moment, mm-hmm. is that the entire thing is told from the perspective of the witnesses. Uh, at, at no point is there a narrator telling you, this is what I think, or here's what you should think about this particular event. 
you're letting the words come completely out of the witnesses' mouths. And, and in, in so doing, it invites the, the viewer, the listener, to draw their own conclusions. I mean, they can accept or reject anything or everything that a Howie Caton has to say. Because mm-hmm. you're not making any claims about one way or the other, right. what happened to them. Right. Um, in this case, though, I, I think um, if it's going to be stylistically different, then there has to be some sort of tip of the hand on the part of the filmmaker to say, if if that is included at all, mm-hmm. that we have some, here are some questions we have about the experiences that he's relating, and here's why. Uh, I, I think that's fair. Um, so... <sighs> Man, I don't I don't want to go down the Sasquatch Chronicles rabbit hole, but let me just say this. I I have a serious problem with most of the information presented on that show. And people can get mad at me, I can get messaged on, on Facebook, whatever. Um the reason I have a serious problem is I've done some digging into some of the stories, at least that are on the website, um, and found them to be entirely fabricated. If someone wants to contact me and ask me what I'm talking about, I can give you I can give you details, but, um, I have, once you start doing that, it, it's not that I believe everyone that's on the show is lying. It's that I have a hard time. I have a hard time personally being able to digest anything coming from that source. When, when I'm doing digging into, you know, a couple stories and finding that the people that are claimed to exist don't even exist. Um, mm-hmm. the people who the story supposedly came from don't even exist. The roads that the sightings are supposedly said to have taken place are not where they're claimed to have been on the show. Um, I was able to do some digging while in a location of a story presented on the, on the SC blog. So that's all I'm going to say. But all right. personally, I have a hard time, you know, just I'm I, I understand that some people have a built in uh, bullcrap detector. Right. Like, yeah. Or at least they claim to. I get right. I get that. And I've known people who are really good at at kind of sussing out the truth. Um, but I don't believe for a second that there's anyone on Earth who can tell what everyone is thinking. And if anyone is lying 100 percent of the time, I don't even think people can do that 80 percent of the time. People are at their heart. <laughs> this could get all moral. But like people mm-hmm. are at the heart. um, probably not great like we we are kind of built to lie and cheat and steal i mean it's a battle daily battle to not do these things so like i don't think that it's as easy as some people might claim to tell whether or not people are lying or telling the truth i agree completely and one way that i would phrase that is that everybody's always Mm self-editing in what in what they show you and what they say or when what they don't say i mean most of the time Mm -hmm. so yeah, you know, I think what Bonnie says, I mean, I, I take my hat off to her because she evidently uh, possesses those skills, you know, by her own words. Right. And I also, you know, it, it's absolutely true that people can learn skills about how to, you know, visually interpret somebody, whether or not they're lying, you know, certain physical cues that they give. That That's all true. But I also... You know, drawing on my own experience, know that people that you deal with on an almost daily basis can withhold things from you for months, if not years. Um, They can tell you half-truths that they either are telling you so that you don't get upset or um, 
they start, you know, we've talked about this before, they tell the lie enough so that they believe it eventually. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's far more complex when we talk about eyewitness testimony and re- just even, not even that, just relaying your daily experience to another person. Right. You're, you're always choosing what you are including, what you're excluding, how you want to present yourself to that particular person. And um, I, I think the thing that really makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable is the, the fact that we are not really forthright with each other most of the time. Right. Is that cynical? I don't think so. I think that's, re- I think that's realistic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and again, when it comes to Sasquatch Chronicles, the I have no problem with a show that just invites people to share experiences. If that's what you're advertising yourself, and they do for the most part, I think that's how they advertise themselves, that's fine. I'm not shooting down Sasquatch Chronicles listeners. I'm saying that there is information that has been shared that probably shouldn't be shared. Is all I'm saying. You know, like there's there's stories on there. I'll tell you what, if you want to do any kind of digging beyond trying to, to activate your own bullcrap detector, go on there's a website called Instant Checkmate. Um do a search for some of the people that are claimed to have been giving accounts or or things like that. I mean just rec- and I'm not talking about Sasquatch Chronicles, I'm talking about in general. Go on whatever, wherever you see a Bigfoot story, try to do your own digging and and figure out if if some of these stories actually exist because you're going to find some shocking things. I can't even in researching for the movies we've done. There are reports from Minerva supposedly given by people do that do not exist. Um, and either those people are, were anonymous at the time. Cause that happened with beast of Whitehall. There's a, there was a man on the scene. He's quoted in a newspaper article as being George Fox. I found later out, uh, later on that George Fox Fox was an anonymous uh, the name they gave an anonymous source someone that was there in 76 who changed his name because he didn't want his name out there so that kind of stuff happens too the Bigfoot field is not easy to um, investigate it the field itself the reports trying to find the the truth from the you know the fakery it's difficult also I was not advocating people going on instant checkmate to look up like someone's home address to to, to threaten them. I'm just saying you can learn a lot by trying to find out if if there's, you know, names that are given in reports and those people don't even exist. Road names that are given don't even exist. That's a red flag. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the simple question with probably a complex answer, maybe it's unanswerable, is if that person didn't exist, then where did the report come from? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, did it come from the researcher? Or like you said, maybe it was it an anonymous story and it just floated away you know there's no way of tracing that I, but as you said it's <laughs> you would hope that after more digging it would be a clearer picture but it never seems to go that way does it yeah um i think i don't think we read this letter you can tell me if we did did we read alexander uh, f- uh alexander his he sent a letter on july 6th and i think this i don't think we would have read this i'm gonna i'm kind of scrolling through it but i don't think we've read it on the air so i think we might wait yes we did this was the entire basis for the other episode because oh, what, okay. what makes for a perfect witness slash encounter situation yeah. yep. so yes, we definitely we read that letter all right so um we're gonna wrap this one up if I, i'm absolutely loving these listener feedback 
episodes. So if you're a listener and you have something you want to talk about, uh, send it to us. Obviously, we have no problem reading anything anyone has to say. So if you want to argue with us or correct us on something we said, we say a lot of stuff wrong. Um, usually it's me. I'm not very eloquent or intelligent, whereas Mark is kind of the resident genius on the show. So, Oh, my gosh. Um, now I've got a bullseye on my forehead. So try and prove Mark wrong on anything (laughs) he says. Uh, There's a month worth of episodes right there. Alright, so we're going to wrap this up. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at SethBreedsLove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.